This podcast episode is powered by Afropods, the world's number one podcasting platform for African stories. Welcome to the first episode of The Innovator by the Kenyan Wall Street Podcast. My name is Ali Mwakaneno Gakweli. I'm your usual host. And uh, today I'm sitting with a Nairobi-based company called Afex. So Afex is a tech company. And what they do is they build um, solutions for both local and international problems using tech. And one of the solutions that they really have in the market is called Apollo, which is an intelligent um, barrier access system. And uh, today with me, I have Fidel Makatia, the CEO, and Cynthia Thuo. Welcome to the show, guys. Thank you. Thank you. All right, so Afex, what's what's the story? How did you guys start this company? Um, the story of Afex is very interesting. Uh, that's why I can start with that. So basically, um, last year, in March 2020, when COVID came to the country, uh, we decided to create the first uh, ventilator because by that time, um, Kenya only had 500 ventilators and a population of 50 million Kenyans. So we saw a crisis ourselves. And since myself, I'm an engineering, I'm, I was an engineering student by that time. And uh, we said, okay, what can we do to alleviate the situation? Because we had 500 ventilators, 50 million Kenyans. So we decided, why, I decided, why don't I form a team that we can address this problem by creating more ventilators? For sure, we couldn't have created a cure or a vaccine because we are not medical students. Definitely. Yeah, so we decided we do what we do best, that's make machines. So during that process of making machines, it took us, the ventilator took us like, I think, four to five months. Then during that process, we, we, we discovered that uh, we have climbed one hill. And I think it was Nelson Mandela who said, after you climb one hill, you realize there are many more hills to climb. So we said, okay, COVID is just one problem in Africa and the world. There are other problems which you can solve. And the best way to do it is why don't we get incorporated as a company? So we, we five of us came together. We said, okay, we have skills, we have the brains, we have the knowledge we have learned in school. Then why don't we apply these things we know on this side of the world? Then we, I remember we met in a lab, an electrical lab somewhere, and they said, okay, Afex is the name. Let's form the company. Let's do this. Why, why Afex? What does Afex mean? I'm sorry, this is something that I've asked you guys a couple of times and I still don't have the answer I want. <laughs> yeah. So basically, um, Afex, like I said, five of us uh, came together to form the company. So Afex is actually the initials of our names, like A stands for Alan, mm-hmm. F stands for Fidel, E stands for Eric, C stands for Cynthia, and S for Steve. So these are the five guys who came together to form the company. Oh. So Afex. Okay, right. Yeah. I get it. Okay, right, so um, your first product, or rather the first innovation by the uh, Afex team, or rather the team that came to form Afex was the ventilator. Uh, tell me about the journey. How did that go? How did you guys, uh, what was your experience building a solution? I, and I have to say this, it was under duress because you're building a solution for a problem that's affecting the whole world and it's literally closed down economies. Um, so I remember um, myself was the one going home. Uh, I would say this then, I think Cynthia would weigh in. Uh, because maybe her perspective is different because, uh, you know, we have ladies in engineering nowadays. So I remember, <laughs> I remember that uh, I was going home myself and um, I'm the first uh, graduate from my family. 
and the first engineering graduate for that matter. And um, so when we went home, I I stayed, they declared a, a lockdown for the country by the president. Right. So I said, there's no way I'm being locked down here with my parents. And they are the ones who sent me to school to provide solution. That's when I went online, researched. I had never seen a ventilator by that time. I, had, I I'm an electrical engineering, uh, an engineering graduate, electrical, not biomedical or medicine. Mm-hmm. So I never saw a ventilator. But when I went online and Google, I realized that there's something called a ventilator which can be used to uh, treat COVID. So when we came to school, I assembled a team. The team, actually 90% of the guys had never seen a ventilator. So it means one blunder we made as engineers, we usually overpromise because based on the math, that's what we say. But vertical ground is different because the math is true, <laughs> but in ground, things might be different. So we told the university that we are able to make this ventilator because we did all the theory online. Said, so will you give us a chance to come back? We'll do it in one week. That one week was one of the... I went for three days without sleeping. Wait, wait. You guys built a ventilator in one week? Because we told the university one week and they, say, they asked us, really, are you sure? I said, yes. Based on what? Based on the math, based on the theory you have. Then we came here, the university said, okay, you have one week. And they gave us all the funding, all everything. But now the problem is, we are not factored now that vertical ground is different. <laughs> like systems <laughs> might fail too. I remember the first model we made for the blender. We just put air on it, the thing exploded. We were like, man, but simulation was right, everything was okay. Computer simulation says it's supposed to be working, but everything has exploded. So how do we do? So we did, we used to sleep actually in this center, in a room somewhere. We didn't even go to the hostel to sleep that time because we had to make sure. The VC used to, used to come every day to make sure by one week we have the ventilator because we had, we had actually even invited the ministers, cabinet ministers, and the government was really keen. So it was one of the steepest learning curve I ever faced in my life. And the good thing is that the human mind is elastic. So we learned a lot and we grew a lot that time. And I remember after we did the first launch, the initial prototype, which the, the entire country saw that time, uh, it was actually 60% working, 40% was not working at all. But it was something, <laughs> it was something we had shown something and everyone was excited. Then it took us like two months to come up with now the, the one which is now in clinical trials. Two months we're working with different parties trying to make the prototype conform to the market. We learned a lot about product design, about customer, about user, about product, because the dream of an engineer is to have a product which can be used by people outside. It's not just saying you're an engineer by theory, because then what is the difference? So we are, it really gave us hope. Then later, um, during that time, we got um, very good awards. For example, the UN person of the year by the United Nations. Then the head of state gave us the head of state commendation. So it really boosted ourselves. I said, okay, so even in this part of the world, it's not just BBI and uh, politics and 2022. It's also there. People can also appreciate innovation. So the, for me, the whole journey has been a learning process and a grow, grow, growing process, I see. And I've grown both physically and also uh, in my soul. Yeah. Cynthia, how about you? How was, how was the journey of building the first prototype in one week? Um, well, it was interesting, but exhausting. Uh, that was one week of my life that I hadn't anticipated going through. Um, it was an exhausting, but again, interesting week. And uh, as Fidel said, uh, we had moments of not sleeping for more than two nights. And um, yeah, but uh, it was a very, uh, I would say it was a very good process for us because it showed us that amidst uh, devastation, because when COVID struck at first, uh, 
people thought there was going to be an apocalypse, but uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, people were devastated everywhere at home. Uh, people thought, man, we are doomed. Yeah. So the fact that they could see some light, yeah, it was a driving force during that one week of exhaustion. So yeah, uh, that was it for, for that period of one week. Before we even get to Affects, I really have to go to go into this. So you saw a ventilator online and then you decided, you know what, we can build this. You assembled a team. Then you go to the school, say we can give this to you in one week. Like, is this one week, like five business days, or is this one week, seven, seven human days? Because all of them look impossible. What happened after that one week? Did you guys really deliver? So, um, wow. Uh, <laughs> you, the first day of that one week, let's start. <laughs> the first day of that one week, we were so excited. I remember we had bought some components and guys were cooling. They were already opening the components when we were standing. They wanted to start dive right in. But in the third day, we realized we actually don't know what a ventilator, how it works. So what we did, I remember sitting down, uh, we sat everyone down. And what we did, we, um, we told some medical students, please explain to us how human being breathes because we have never seen this machine. <laughs> and that what we thought we know is not working because we have, we have built something which is not is operating like a pump. So we told, him, we told them explain. So they sat us down, explained to us the principle of ventilation in a human lung. Then there's a doctor called Dr. Gweno sent us a big book called Anatomy of Ventilation for Medicine. So we went through it and we started reverse engineering how human beings breathe and putting it into a machine. So this is how human beings breathe. We mimic that in program and electronics, put it in a machine. Then in day the, in the six now, day five, sorry, uh, the VC had already called the Minister for Industrialization. Uh, so the, 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 the minister was already conf- had confirmed that he's coming in the PS of Education. So that night was was hectic for us because uh, this university reputation, these our degrees are actually hanging on the thread. <laughs> these are our parents, <laughs> they say all those things, this COVID, so there's a lot of things. But the first, when we went to public the first time mm-hmm. and the machine was operational, it was 60% operational. What we did, I told my team, let's make sure the core things are working. Not everything, but let the core things. For example, let it be able to deliver the set pressure and the set uh, para- physiological parameters, and let it be able to sense all these things supposed to. For the accuracy, let's not mind for accuracy for now. Let's just make sure we deliver fast as a prototype. We prove that concept it's working. So, so I said sixty percent complete. So we actually delivered sixty percent ventilator complete at that time. Then for the next two months now, we now worked on how do we now make this thing as accurate as one percent. Error margin. So fine-tuning. Yeah, fine-tuning now. So we fine-tuned it and we made sure that it's now market ready. So what we did now, we said, okay, we are going to the market. We have people like Hamilton. We have people like GE. We have American companies. We have uh, Turkish companies. And by the way, the fastest they have ever made a ventilator in Turkey is six months. As we made it in two months. So it's something. And we have, we have a patent for the same. And if I'm allowed to say much, is that the first time we got the, we went public about our MVP, we got some people from Germany, companies from Germany interested in buying a ventilator. Because they couldn't imagine how we have taken a machine, the same standards, the same ISO standards, but we have made it half their costs and we have also innovation on it and we took two months to build it. So they couldn't imagine that is the mighty Germany now. So they had to come and buy some, some equipment from us. Imagine. So that one really encourages us. 
But now we spend two months fine tuning and I really thank people like Kebs in the Bureau of Standards because I remember they used to come here early in the morning, leave late in the evening, helping us understand the standards, working in partnership with us, developing standards, telling us this is how it's supposed to be. I remember some guys from Metronics came later with their ventilator, say, okay, it's our ventilator, how it works. We compared ours and theirs and ours was better and we were like, yay, better ventilator. So it, it was a hectic season. But at least, like I said, it really impacted our careers as young engineers. Cynthia, um, you've, Fidel says you're the face of the company. How, how, how or whether you agree with that is a you problem? What was the reception of, of, of your innovation, your, the fast ventilator? And I'm not talking about the, the, the final product here, what's in clinical testing. I'm talking about the MVP. What was the reception um, at school level? Because that's we definitely have to start there. Because at that time, you guys were students. What was the reception at our personal level? What was the reception at a national regulatory level? Uh, when we made our MVP for the ventilator, the reception was warm. I would say um, because well, we got all the recognition needed, and we also got funding uh, initially. So I would say it was warm from the school too, because uh, when you were making it, uh, we got a lot of support from accommodation to food. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so there, and, and many others that I, I won't mention here. But the reception was quite warm and uh, we were encouraged to continue in the fine-tuning process. Yeah. Actually, I remember that uh, supper from the school was so much in that we, because <laughs> one day we came, it was on a Sunday, we had forgotten to buy something called a glue a small thing. Mm -hmm. The university ordered the driver to drive us all the way in town. So we were driving down from shop to shop looking for a glue gun. So we used, they used to give us personal drivers. We can't just go out. Yeah. We go out, we drive us our dinner, actually drive, drove us all the way to Kiambu to look for some components we were looking for there. So the school was really supporting us. Anytime we call even at 3am, our lecturers used to wake up and say, what is it, Fidel? <laughs> Which one is not working? I say, sir, I'm writing this program and your theory is not working here. And the lecturer is waking up of his bed, out of his bed, coming to help. So everyone was actually sacrificing everything, including the university itself. Yeah. yeah. Even the mentorship we got from there was quite a, a, a lot. And, and it came a long way in helping us. Yeah. Uh, in uh, our MVP and during the whole innovation process. Let's talk about the challenges. What was the biggest challenge, both um, from a personal point of view and from our team stroke um, innovation point of view that you experienced while building the TIPA ventilator and how did you navigate that? Cynthia, we'll start with you. <laughs> <laughs> Well, thank you. For uh, the greatest challenge I would say we encountered uh, from my perspective would be the fact that when we came in, of course, we were all excited and all that, but we had different, uh, our composition had different people with different personalities. So, of course, the initial challenge was uh, settling uh, differences so that we can bring the best out of each and every person, mm -hmm. which eventually we overcame that challenge. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so that's uh, for, uh, I would say from my point of view, uh, that was what we faced as, as a team. Yeah. Uh, for me, I have three challenges. I was a team leader, so 
that is the most challenging job <laughs> <laughs> you can have in a team because you actually you mind about every person's bad behavior and good because it's your business their pe- people's business is actually your business as a team leader and what Cynthia said is true uh you know it's very hard to lead a team of bright people because everyone thinks is right because everyone uh, mind you we have 15 eh? uh, two are electrical engineers four are biomedical engineers two are mechanical engineers and um, we have medical student pharmacy student nursing student so imagine a biomedical engineer thinks a ventilator is a biomedical engineering problem so he says electrical engineer you have nothing to say here a medical student is saying no these are medical machines so i should be done calling the shots so you have to come say hey guys the goal is a ventilator it's not what you guys think it should be done is let's make sure so you, i remember when we were doing brainstorming session there were more than 50 hypotheses on reported and each one is able to is able to prove and stand firm on their hypothesis you you as a team leader you have to make sure you make the right judgment because if you don't we make a wrong judgment they will tell you i told you so as the medical student i told you it's not working this way and you will not listen and that's how they be passive in the team so like i said bring the team together and managing it for more than six months was a real issue and i thank god i didn't know i have it in me so i really thank also thank god for the award i got from the president at least it come please <laughs> show that uh, you can manage then number two is the learning curve like i said most of us have never seen a ventilator so we had to learn a lot about ventilation we read books on medicine we read things about uh, biomedical engineering biocompatibility iso standards all those things we do we didn't know and we are not even anywhere close to our line of duty as electrical engineering students and right now graduates but now we had to go deeply and make sure we not just read but understand because you have to apply so you don't just read to pass exam we read to understand and apply so it was really hectic i remember there is one uh, the mentors they are very learned were professors and doctors so they used to come and just mention jargons to us say no you have to put this you have to put the other you have to put this uh, dr mambo can't do no, this signal has to look like this you're like what what is that is there's a phd concept you have to make sure you figure out so we that the learning curve was steep then um also uh, lastly i think was we were building a very sensitive medical device uh, i think it's a class 3 medical device is very sensitive because it goes inside the body of a human being. I'm sorry, um you break again break down the classes of okay. medical devices here because I'm really not well versed with that. <laughs> okay. So so there is a medical device which does not go inside it's outside the body like a medical app mm-hmm. like an app to track your let's say medication or your fitness. That one is not is not critical because if the app fails you don't die, right? Mm-hmm. There's another one which is it's good it goes inside the body but it's not very critical like a syringe let's say or let's say um it's not a critical it, it, it might have let's say 20% margin of error. But there are things which for example a ventilator which they imagine it goes inside your your trachea goes into your lungs. They it penetrates call uh, they put it inside. So you see it's it's very it's, it needs to be 1% margin of error because it's very sensitive it's very critical a very critical machine that's why you find a ventilator is actually usually in ICUs and HDUs it's not in normal normal wards per se so um we are building such kind of machine and it means error was not an option and also apart from error it has a lot of uh, processes like uh, clearances you have to go through here you have to go through cabs you have to go pharmacy and poisons board you have to go through the ethics review committee they have to see the ethics of your trials what materials you have used so it really there are a lot of red tapes so we really because when you're coming together we were saying okay 
uh, week one build the ventilator week two make it public week three become billionaires because we saw uh, <laughs> when we sell these ventilators each person take let's say we say let's say it's two million per ventilator and we sell 500 of them you see we're all billionaires <laughs> so that was our plan by week three we are buying week four we are in Hawaii in Ayat week five we are, be, we are rolling with Rolls Royce but it is not possible. To see. <laughs> I have to ask: Did you guys get anywhere close to this? Because maybe we need to switch jobs. <laughs> so, like I said, it's it's a long process. We stayed in clinical. Imagine uh, we got a pharmacy and poisons board approval on um, was it June? So it's we got the PPB approval in June, pharmacy and poisons board approval in June, and the ventilator was ready last year June. So it took us one year to get that approval. Then we just got um, is it Nakosti approval. Uh, last week, I just showed it last week. So you see, it has a lot of processes. So making a medical machine, actually, most people take seven years. Yeah. Before you sell, it's seven years with the entire process of approval. So the reason why ours has been shorted is because of the pandemic. So they are really making sure they are fastening everything. But it takes up to seven years to get that uh, approval. I like how you've, you've stepped into, into the approval processes here because one of the questions I had for you guys is how did you work with and sometimes navigate regulations. What are some of the regulators that you worked with to make sure that, you know, we move this ventilator from an idea to something that can actually work inside a human body within the shortest time possible? So I think basically, um, I think the attitude of Venus is when you, 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 you discover that you, you are not a monopoly, as in you cannot do it all by yourself. And there are guys already there who you can leverage on. We call it standing on the shoulders of giants. So basically, uh, Cynthia talked about it, said mentorship. So part of the reasons why we went to KU with our patent, uh, with our idea so we can get patent and work with them is because KU has very many schools with professors. Kenyatta University has good relationship with KEBS so, and uh, other parties. So with that KEBS relationship, when we were going for approval, for KEBS approval, it works quickly because KU as a big organization, it can really lobby for these things more than a small a small person, one person who's just a student. They'll take you through through a lot of processes and all those things. So that was the first thing. Then we had a, also the part of the committee we had, we had 13 mentors, each from different disciplines. We had one for computer science, one from biomedical, one from electrical, one from pharmacy, one from medicine, one was anesthetist, the guys who actually ventilate you in, uh, in the ward in the theater room. Mm-hmm. So those guys, like for the pharmacists, they had worked with pharmacy and present board initially. So they knew the right processes to follow. For the IP, we had uh, Dr. Kusibe, who is the head of HNR Business Center, who has been well versant with the IP and protection. So before even we started, he was already working on how we're going to get protection and all those things. So I think the best way as an innovator and a young company is to partner with people already there. Don't assume that they are there, they are not doing anything or they are weak. Just partner with them so that you can ride on their, their, their relationships and ride on their strengths. Because that's what we did and we really benefited. That's why you see our approval has taken two years at max. We take two years at max, but usually it takes seven years to get approval. Cynthia, let's talk about the IP here. And uh, earlier, I remember we had a side conversation with you guys before the podcast. And what you intimated with me is that... Um, Kenyatta University owns the intellectual property rights, rather the patent to the ventilator at the moment. Is that correct? 
Well, actually, uh, when we came and uh, designed the ventilator and everything, uh, we got the IP. Mm-hmm. And after we got the IP, came I uh, did the prototype and everything. The, the IP was still ours. Uh, what we did is we commercialized it to KU. Right. Yes. What does commercialization of IP mean? <laughs> <laughs> okay. So what it means is that at as as we're speaking, Kenyatta University right now, as as the product is going out, it is KU's property. But the brain behind it is the students that made it. So then they are in charge of commercializing uh, the product itself. They are the ones who are selling it out. If you want to ask any question concerning trading and all that, that is KU's problem. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. But uh, the brains behind making the ventilator are the students. Okay, I get that. It's just like you, let's say you, come, you have a good idea for a good shot. Mm-hmm. Then you say, uh, you, you come and meet me. Let's say I'm a big company. I have the muscle. So tell me, this is my idea. It's my shot. I've already done the prototype proof of concept. But you see, I don't have the muscle to go against Fubu or Adidas or Gucci or uh, Versace because they are big companies. They so can do marketing and all those things. So sort of riding on um, the use yes, to, to roll out the ventilator. Exactly. Now telling them, no, this is the IP. It's mine, yes. But this is how we're going to share. So you, because you will help in marketing and selling, and the IP is mine because it's my product, will be splitting this profit at this, this percentage and this is the laws governing the commercialization. So that's the meaning of commercialization. You, you have the product, but you don't have the strength to take it out. Mm-hmm. So you say, oh yeah, take, take out from me. I'm, I'm happy that I'm, I'm sitting with, uh, <laughs> with literally the, the operations team here, the chief operations officer Cynthia and the CEO is uh, overhead. So let's, let's talk about scale. Um, again, before we bring back to, to Apex. Um, how did you guys scale your, your production outright from, from the MVP to now clinical test, testing? How many ventilators are we, are we testing out there? How many do we have? So let me first make it clear. Sure. Um, uh, Affix came about after the ventilator. So it's the same team, but the ventilator is not owned by Affix, it's owned by the, the university itself. Yes. So um, I think... That question we can talk about when we're talking about Apollo now, mm-hmm. because how we have scaled up Apollo. Right. But for the uh, ventilator, so our main role was just design it, mm-hmm. come the prototype, but the, the, the entire production line, KU has actually even employed people for it, because they're handling all those things. So sort of they, they magnified your idea and yeah. what you, like your, your initial milestones to, yes. to allow for more production. It's like we have contracted KU to produce a ventilator. Okay. But as for the last time we talked, uh, their, their plan is to do 50 ventilators per week. And uh, the trials, the trials is still part of the R&D process of mm-hmm. research and design. That's why we're still involved. Mm-hmm. The trials, we got the approval last week uh, by Nakosti. We paid and all those things. Nakosti? Uh, Nakosti is, um, I've forgotten the full name, but usually it is research. Mm-hmm. So research both the uh, equipment and also medical. So they give you approval for trying your product, like right. trials, clinical trials and all those things. Like trying it out, let's say you invent a robot, give you approval to try it in some, some place or things like that. Because yeah, it's, it, you're still in Kenya, you have to be governed with laws, you can't just do what you want to do. Mm-hmm. So they have to give you approval so that they know you're doing it, so that in case something happens, they really know you're doing it. That's, that's, that's where they come in. But now, uh, so we do the trials. And after the trials, uh, the ventilator is ready to set to go out. 
Uh, let me also stress this, that most ventilators don't follow the trials part because it's not compulsory. But the reason why KU, KU is following the trial part is because uh, of reputation. Yeah, I mean, you're yes. telling me there's something that goes into my lungs that doesn't need to be tested. You see, as long as you have compared the ISO standards and it's working, because KEMS came with the machines, mm-hmm. so they already like they know it's working. The trial is just to make sure that we collect data, we see how it's working on the ground. So if you see most ventilators we buy from China, and I don't, I don't, I don't know if I should, I should say China here. Maybe they will. <laughs> it's okay. Okay. Most ventilators you buy from abroad, let me say it like that. They are not tested. The reason why I'm saying this is because when we are doing our MVP, we managed to bring. They bought a very new ventilator. It has not been used. And when we started trying it and comparing the standards we have from ISO, it was not even meeting those standards at all. And the funny story is that it's actually ventilating patients as we speak. And we are everyone is comfortable. So the reason why KU said we are supposed we have to go to trials is because we are a university, we are an academic institution doing research. So it's also helping us to do more research so we can inform other designs and also we want to get it right. So that we don't five years, ten years from now, guys don't say people are dying because of this thing. So it's not just business. But most ventilators in the country in the country don't have not even gone through the trials. So most people skip that part because they are want to make money. Right. This is not our first conversation. We have a lot to unpack with regards to Apex, Apollo, and um, some of the projects that you guys are working on. So after you've successfully developed um, Kenya's and uh, one of Africa's first ventilators, how did you then decide to, you know what, we're going to be doing this full time. We're going to sit down and form a company and this is going to be our thing. Cynthia, you look like you have something interesting to say. <laughs> Uh, well, I would say uh, the ventilator was kind of starting point and it was a moment of epiphany because, uh, like I said, at that moment of crisis, we realized we had the solution within. And uh, upon checking well, we saw ha, there are other problems that come uh, alongside COVID-19 and uh, those some of them actually revolved around the pandemic and uh, around others. And uh, it was upon seeing those problems and upon that moment of epiphany that we were like, hmm, we can come up with other solutions that can actually better the state of the society currently. And that is how Apex was born. Sorry, you, you mentioned problems and we're in Kenya, we have too many. What are some of the, <laughs> what are some of these challenges that you decided to, to actually need pick and focus on? Well, since we had initially started out uh, using Tibaben, that is the ventilator, uh, one of the problems we saw initially was again COVID-19 in that people are not adhering to the current standards uh, and regulations that had been set by the Ministry of Health so as to regulate the spread of the of the disease, of the virus. And therefore, we came up with a solution that um, can reduce the spread of COVID-19. That is, it ensures that a person has a mask and the person's temperature is correct before entering a premise. So that was one of the parameters that was being checked before a person got in, so as to regulate the spread of COVID-19. Aside from that, since, uh, again, uh, business-wise, you have to think, so what if COVID ends? How will you be making money? Uh-huh. So we saw that uh, security also is an issue and we coupled the COVID-19 solution with security aspect by ensuring that any person who comes in not only has a mask and the temperature is correct, but is also registered with the system so as to be granted access. That's Apollo. Yeah. 
Yeah, um, I think what he said is very important uh, because, um, what she said rather. So just imagine, um, you know, when you, there's something called adrenaline rush you get. For example, let's say you, let's say you're playing with me, I'm playing with you, uh, FIFA, let's say PS, then I beat you. I kind of want to beat other people, right? <laughs> <laughs> okay, <laughs> no, it's not, it's okay. <laughs> you kind of want to say, okay, I'm the champ. So who else wants to get my beating? So you want, okay, come, let's play, let me beat you. So you want to do all this to beat everyone. Then later you realize, okay, FIFA is not necessary, let's do another game. So basically, when you solve a problem, you really want to be solving other problems. Like I said, uh, Nelson Mandela, once you climb a hill, you realize there are many more hills to climb. So in effect, you don't believe in um, staying in past glory, ah, this is what we did. You said, okay, if this is what we did and it does not just change this at uh, this level, why don't we amplify it and change these other levels? So that's when we said, okay, let's identify, like she said, uh, how Apollo came to be when we talk about in the process. We realized a very interesting, interesting story because it was just something in the office we were doing and checking and like, ah, we can make this as a product. And that's how Apollo came to be. And um, after Apollo, we, after we did that, we one day we were watching um, Elon launching a, a Falcon in space and we said, okay, is it only Elon who can do this? And it be done here in, can, in the country. And we decided to realize actually Kenya is the best place to launch these things because it's closer to the, the actually the equator is close. You use less fuel when you want to go up. Mm-hmm. Then we said this is where this should be the hub of innovation. That's what inspired things like char- electric, char- electric charging station, electric cars, and nano satellites. The things we are doing currently is because we see there are many challenges we can use, and most things in Kenya have not been harnessed, like space. Kenya really does not use its space. We use other people's space. We own Google Cloud, Azure. We don't use our own space. So there are a lot of things we can do with technology in this country. So we said, okay, let's be tackling them one after the other. And m- maybe corruption might not be part of the things we want to solve <laughs> because it might not be technology problem. But <laughs> <laughs> so I, 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 you know what? I believe that um, technology will not necessarily solve corruption, but then possibly bring us to, to a step closer away from it. This is all I had for today. To my listeners, there's definitely more to unpack, as you've you've noticed. Uh, This is our first episode. We're going to have another episode where we get to unpack really what Apollo is and uh, some of the ways which Apex has been able to navigate and bring these innovations to to the ground. Thank you for joining us in today's discussion, Fidel and uh, and Cynthia. I look forward to having the next one. Thank Thank you. you. All right, goodbye. (laughs)